Welcome to About Faith with Alec Klein. I'm honored to be your host of this weekly half-hour program airing on HLE Radio every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central and replayed Sundays at 5 p.m. Central. We'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life sharing with us their journey to faith. Today, we're with Rhonda Baer. Hers is uh, an amazing story of unlikely power and grace, Uh, unlikely because of what she's been through, unlikely because of where she once was and, frankly, where she is today. But let's hear this incredible story from Rhonda herself. Rhonda, please start from the beginning of your amazing story. Where does that start? Well, um, Alec, I grew up in South Louisiana, which is one of my favorite states in the entire world. And uh, life is good. I love the culture. I love the people. I love my life. And I was a straight-A student. I didn't get in any trouble. My life was good. And then uh, one day, I got a surprise. My dad came home with um, my babysitter and actually announced to the family that he was in love with her and he was leaving us for her. And my mom and me and my sisters, our lives were crushed that day. We didn't expect it. And the following morning, my mom loaded us up a U-Haul trailer and moved us to Texas. And it was like life changed overnight. Good night, goodbye, friends. Goodbye, Dad. Goodbye, stability. Goodbye, Louisiana. And now into a new culture. Wow. How old were you, Rhonda, when this happened? I was nine. And I had a younger sister that was eight. And then a younger sister that was four. So my mom went from being a married wife to a single mom with three children. And we went from being in middle class to poverty. We didn't have a car. Rhonda, that must must have been an absolute shock. It was a huge adjustment. We didn't have a car. We had to walk everywhere. My mom had... Uh, been a nurse, but then she found employment in a sewing factory in Texas. We went from eating seafood regularly to basically macaroni and cheese every night because it's what my mom could afford. And we just went through really hard times. And then in about six months, my mom announced that um, she was marrying my stepdad. So now we've had this crazy divorce. We've moved to Texas, and now we're moving to Dallas because I'm getting a stepdad. And immediately, I did not like him. Why? (laughs) Because I wanted my dad, not the stepdad. And he also was a very violent alcoholic. 
So it was like we were moving from bad to worse. In Texas, I really, I couldn't get my grip. And uh, I got introduced to a sport called soccer. Um, I hated soccer. I hated it. I was not confronted. I didn't want to get hit by the ball. I didn't really like running. I, there wasn't anything about soccer I liked. I was a big threat. But my stepdad said I was going to play soccer, and that's just the way it was. Our team made it to the state championship playoffs in Texas, and I was so nervous and sick at I was just sick at my stomach. I was just nervous. I wasn't having a good moment. And my soccer coach said, I'm going to give you this little pill, and it's going to help your stomach. Okay, that sounded good to me. And it was, she didn't mean anything by it. It was an innocent decision, and it was an innocent decision on my part to take the little pill. It was a Valium. Wow. It made me feel everything that I wasn't. I immediately felt confident. I immediately felt relief. Nothing in my heart or my mind bothered me. And I went out and I kicked butt on that soccer field. <laughs> I did. I made three scores. <laughs> I was the most valuable player of the game. Wow. And we won. Yes, and uh, I, it, it just changed my life at that moment, and I thought, I'm never losing this feeling again, and that decision took me down some of the darkest paths imaginable. Tell us about that. Within a year, I went from being a straight-A student to straight F. My attitude changed. I had to steal the volumes, but it was in the 70s, and all of my friends' moms had volume in their medicine cabinet. It was a very popular drug to be given out to people. So I began to steal and I would steal people's pills. As um, my mom and my stepdad began to have even worse problems than they divorced. So now it was time for my mom to move me away from my friends and move to a place in East Texas. Plus, she thought that I was on drugs, but I kept denying it. I would tell her I'm just, you know, just struggling. So she thought that if I moved to East Texas, if I was on drugs, I would get off the drugs because she would move me out of Dallas. But we moved to the project in East Texas, and the drugs were rampant. And the people who became my heroes were people who really were into major drugs and um, biters and who were shipping large amounts of drugs and stuff, and, and they became the people that I idolized and wanted to be like. And so because of that, 
my drug use escalated. My mom, in desperation, someone told her about tough love. And it, she gave me a choice. She said, I love you, but if you're going to use drugs, you can't live in my house. So I was like, great. I'm leaving then. And I was about 14. Wow. And I left home. And drugs were my best friend. And so at 14 years old, I'm kicked out of several high schools. Uh, my attitude was so awful, I would get kicked out of school. And um, got into, I learned that I could uh, prostitute and that older men would pay good money for young girls like me. And that way I could eat, I could buy drugs, I could buy clothes, and I could have shelter. And that became my lifestyle. Rhonda, can I stop you for a quick sec? What were the drugs that you were using at the time? Uh, Valium, Quaaludes. Um, all of my drug of choice at that time was barbiturates. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is, Rhonda, how big of a leap was it after you left home to find yourself in a situation where, you know, you, you reach the decision to, to essentially sell your, yourself, if you will, for, for the habit, for the addiction? I mean, how, how difficult was that to reach that point? Mm-hmm. Well, I would take so many pills and mix them with alcohol that I didn't feel anything. I had no, I was numb from my head throughout my soul. I felt nothing, nothing. And I didn't want to feel anything. And I just like, if you'll just give me the drugs or you give me the money for the drugs, you can do anything you want with me because I don't care. I felt nothing. I felt no sadness. I felt no happiness. I felt nothing. I was kind of like Pink Floyd says, comfortably numb. And that's the only way I wanted to be. There were times in a night that I know how much drugs I use that people would have, a lot of people would have overdosed and died. Yeah. Miraculously, I lived. But what happened is when I was almost 16, I was pretty much kind of feeling washed up and burnt out. You know, uh, I wanted to die. Yeah. And I really wanted to punish my mom and my dad for hurting me so bad that I decided that I would go to my mom's house. I would take an overdose of pills and I would die and then she would have to wake up and deal with that. So I went to her house to spend the night. I took a lot of pills and I mixed I took everything that I had on me. I took everything that was in my mom's medicine cabinet. I mean, I don't know. I probably took 160 pills that night. Wow. I just took everything that I could get my hands on. 
and I laid down to go to sleep. But then I had this terrifying feeling of, I'm not going to wake up. This is it. And so I decided it scared me so bad. I got up and I told my mom, I said, I've taken every pill you have in your house plus what I had on me. I'm going to die. And she got me to the hospital and they pumped my stomach and put me in ICU for the night. And then for the next three days, they put me in the mental ward. And while I was in the mental ward, this guy came knocking on my door. And um, he was extremely a nice looking guy. So when he knocked on my door, he's like, can I come in? And my response was, anything that looks as good as you, yes. (laughs) And he said, well, actually, I came here to tell you about Jesus Christ. His name was Mike Deese, and he was a youth pastor at the Assembly of God Church in Kilgore, Texas, and my mom had sent him to me, and uh, he came, and he actually led me to the Lord. I became a Christian that day, Mm -hmm. and my addiction just, like, fell off of me, like chains. I didn't have withdrawals. My, I, I just, I got clean and didn't even want to use drugs. And Mike invited me to come be part of the youth group. And he just began to sow into my life. He, every week he wanted me to memorize a new scripture. And I wanted to because I wanted to show him that um, I could, I could be good. And I wanted to please him because he was so nice to me, right? He never made a sexual advance to me. He never did anything. He was just godly, and I wasn't used to that. I mean, I've had married men read the Bible to me and then turn around and have sex with me, and I'm like 14 years old, right? So I didn't have a lot of uh, great experience with men who just were nice and loved Jesus. Yeah. And so my life got on track, and I was doing good. Uh, you know, I'm like 16. My mom says I can move home. And I move home, and I'm going to church, and I'm not going back to high school. That wasn't going to be an option, but uh at least I was going to get a job, and I was working. I was working at a nursing home, and I loved it, taking care of old people. They loved me, and I had some really strong bonds with some of the old people there, and, and my life just seemed to be going in a good direction. And then one day I came home, and my mom and, uh, at the time, her boyfriend, they were moving and I didn't know, well, I didn't really know they were moving, so it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. I pull up in the driveway, and uh, I go, where are you going? Because there's no furniture left in the house. What are you doing? And she said, well, we're going on vacation. I'm not sure how long we're going to be gone or where we're going. 
but we'll be back soon. I'm going to leave your youngest sister with the neighbors. And I'm going to leave your other sister with her boyfriend. And you've always been pretty good about finding places to stay, so you'll be okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I guess what it did to my heart that day was made me, you know, I just felt abandoned again. And um, I didn't handle it very well at all. And I went to the church. I went to Mike, and he said, listen, we're going to find some people in the church to help you. Don't panic. But it was too late. I was already panicking. And uh, I was hurt and angry. And so he said, they made a decision in the church that every Sunday I could go live with a different family until they figured out what to do with me. Okay, so I did that for a little bit, but I hated that. I hated it every Sunday it's time to pack my suitcase and go stay with another family. Mm -mm, That's not what I was going to, I was not going to do that. So I didn't do that for very long, and I went and picked up my little sister. And at the time then, she was about nine. And I remember driving down the road, and she's like, what are you going to do with us? And I said, I think I'll just wreck this car, and I'll kill us both, and we won't have to worry about it. Wow. And I remember just driving in circles and donuts, just at such a high speed, trying to roll the car, just trying to kill us. And she wanted to die with me because we didn't know what else to do. So I told her, I said, of course, the car didn't roll. We're driving a 1964 Chevrolet Impala. You couldn't roll that thing if you wanted to, okay? This car was heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I said, I'm going to, uh, I ended up saying, I'm going to take you to to our aunt's house, and I'm going to drop you off. I'm going to get some money, and I'm coming back to get you. And she was begging me, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. But I knew I couldn't take her where I was going. And so um, long story short, I ended up back in Louisiana, And I met a crime boss out of South Louisiana. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. And you don't have to worry anymore. And that sounded so good to me. He said, "Uh, you're going to live on LSU campus. And we're going to get you a cute little sports car. And you're going to have a charge account. And when you go to bars, you can run some tabs. And I want you to recruit college girls who will prostitute for the organization. And so, of course, I call my friends from Texas and invite them down to my apartment. And because it's, you know, I have an apartment that overlooks the pool. I'm living in Tigerland. I've got prescription drugs, because I've got doctors, I've got illegal drugs, i got, I think I'm living the life. Mm. And, uh, but at the same time, my heart is being torn because I know Jesus. Right. And
And I call my youth pastor every day, and he knows exactly where I'm at, what I'm doing, and he still has me memorizing the scripture every week. <laughs> yes. So he, uh, you know, but one day, years passed, and I'm still in this mess, and but I know that I always think in the back of my mind that when I turn 18, I'm going to be too old. And they're probably going to kill me. I don't know. Because I didn't really know if what the news said was true because I didn't always see that. I didn't see a dangerous side of my friends. Mm. So, you know, I, I never knew. And But the funny thing is, here I am, and I got terribly strung out on Valiums and cocaine. I loved mixing Valium, cocaine, and alcohol. That was my favorite cocktail every day. Wow. One night I'm at this bar, and I stumble out of this bar, and I'm really pretty wasted, of course, because I'm mixing Valium, alcohol, and cocaine. And there's a guy standing at the door, and he says, Rhonda. And I turn around and say, yes. He said, God sent me here. I wondered why he was sending me to Louisiana, and now I know. I had met this guy in Texas, and he was an evangelist. Mm-hmm. His name was Tony, and he said, Rhonda, I came to tell you that if you don't get out of the mess you're in, you're going to die. Wow. Rhonda, we're actually running out of time here. This is, I know, an incredible story. and there's, I know there's so much more to it, but uh, so, so what happened then? I come to Oklahoma, I'm clean. I feel like I'm going to marry a preacher's son, or a preacher, so I'm looking kind of for a preacher, right, because God's cleaned me up. I'm sold out to God again, and here we go. So I meet a preacher's son, and I think, okay, well, we'll get married because you're going to be a preacher one day, probably like your dad. And I knew that he used drugs, but I didn't think it would matter, and we both thought that I could use drugs with him, and he would not let my drug addiction get out of control. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell because I'm a horrible drug addict. So I end up married to him. We have three amazing kids. We try to have a good life, but I am an out-of-control drug addict. So raising these children, I'm in and out of their life, their entire life. So my children never knew from one day to the next what their life would be like with their mother. Hmm. Yes, and that's one of my biggest regrets in life is how I raised them, how I broke their hearts. And so raising them in addiction, eventually I was sentenced to prison in Oklahoma. And when I was before I was being sentenced, I was on the run, and I had decided that I would revert to what I learned when I was with in the organization that if you really want something done, you figure out a way and you figure out who to bribe. So I thought if the drug deals would go down like they were supposed to, I was just going to bribe the justice system and get my kids back. And, uh, but every time I put my trust in that drug deal, I got arrested. So there was actually six counties after me between Oklahoma and Arkansas. And 
I knew they were going to catch up, but what I did was one day I just called the district attorney in Oklahoma and said, listen, I'm tired of running. I'm going to turn myself in. I have all these charges. I want you to work me up a deal. I'm going to plead out, but I want to see my children, and I want to say goodbye, and I don't want a bondsman arresting me in front of them. And he said, okay. He knew I was tired. I was really tired of running. So um, I convinced my children's dad to let me see the kids. And I spent the night with them and told them, you know, how much I loved them and how sorry I was for being the mom I was. And I was going to prison, and I didn't know for how long but I was going to get out, and I was coming back to get them. And um, my little girl was eight, and she said, Mom, I can't even cry because I've cried so many times. Please don't leave me. And that's how we said our goodbyes. And so um, I ended up with a 10-year sentence. I deserved more, but I got mercy and got a 10-year sentence. So um, I got into prison, and uh, I did a 12-month drug program, and my judge uh, went ahead and let me out of prison and gave me 10 years probation, and uh, I started over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got involved with a ministry called Stand in the Gap Ministry, and that's where mentors were trained to come into my life and walk with me for two years. And help me set goals, help me get my life on track. So I got my GED, I started college, I graduated college with a bachelor in social work, uh, got my kids back. Uh, that was a journey of healing and forgiveness, um, a long journey, but it's it's there today. My kids, all my kids and my grandkids live in about a 30-mile radius of me, and I may not have been a good mother, but I was a good, I'm was a really good grandmother, and my grandchildren are my life. Um, about, you know, about 14 years ago, God called me to use all this experience and to start homes for women. And so I had these homes that helped the women exiting prison. So I go into prison as a volunteer, and through Stand in the Gap, I teach a reentry class about how to go to prison and how to stay out of prison. Teach this 14-week course, and then we meet the women at the gate. We place them in housing. We get a team of mentors around them. We have, I also started a, a coffee shop called She Brews Coffee House, and our women work the coffee shop. We roast our own beans, so we have some really delicious beans. And, uh, you can order online, haha. <laughs> and uh, yes, and so we, so our women, you know, they're they're housed, they're employed. We encourage education opportunities. Uh, they have their mentors, and our real goal is to get children back out of the system and restored to their moms. And uh, that's what I do. And then in my spare time, I advocate uh, for criminal justice reform with the legislature yep. and 
the parole board and really just try to save children from the heartache of abandonment by saving their lives. Well, Rhonda, we're actually out of time, but I have to say you're actually being way too modest because the story of what you've done for so many others with your, I think it's what, 13 transitional homes uh, is unbelievable. And then I believe you have two coffee shops now, if I'm not mistaken, where you employ people. We have three, three coffee now? shops now. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's incredible. And again, you're, you're hiring people uh, coming out of the system, right, out of prison. Yeah. And uh, so it's, um, if I might say, you're not even doing justice to your beautiful faith and and how you give back to the community. But it's been such an honor hearing your story and your testimony. And I just want to thank you for for all of that, uh, for everything that you do. It's It's been uh, uh, an incredible journey to hear this, and it's inspiring to hear how you've come so far and, and, and what a, an amazing role your faith played in all of it. So thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, Alec. Thanks for listening to About Faith with Alec Klein. Please stay tuned for our next episode airing on HLE Radio every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central and replayed Sundays at 5 p.m. Central. We'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life sharing with us their journey to faith. I'd love to hear from listeners. Please reach out to me through my website, alekklein.net. That's A-L-E-C. K-L-E-I-N dot net. Until next time, have a great week.